This is Jim Pruitt, and you listen to another episode of the Farm So Hard podcast. So I farm so hard, the employees want to find me, and then want to hire me. What's 100K to a guy like me? Could you please remind me? Farm so hard, this ain't easy. Working late nights, you best believe me. My grades can only go ace. Never want to see another B unless I'm Jay-Z. Farm so hard, let's get paid. Welcome to Farm So Hard. I'm Dr. Oscar Santalo. I'm a pharmacy operations manager at University of Florida Health in Leesburg, and I'm here with our guests with Beef on Bicarb, the beefest of Bicarb. Go ahead and introduce yourself, big dog. You guys know what it is. This is your boy, Jim Pruitt, a.k.a. PharmD in the ED, and this is going to be the last I talk about my hate, my beef with, with Bicarb. Jimmy, so, can I share something personal? Mm-hmm. Like, my beef with Bicarb was during the shortage that I had to carry that little lunchbox <laughs> with bi- extra bicarb in it for coach, just in case he ran through all the bicarb in the coach, right? So Jimmy, um, listen to the series. Uh, for those that really haven't listened, can you summarize the series from the start for us? So the first episode was looking at the use of sodium bicarb in hyperkalemia. And what we found was that it does a crappy job of causing intracellular shift of potassium and what it does do a good job is, is directing hyperkalemia-induced EKG changes due to the sodium channel blockade. And that's where the most you know, benefit of it, in my opinion, and with the data's opinion. And then we went on to episode two, and we talked about the use of bicarb and DKA and why that necessarily didn't do a great job, because the ketone production is going to be treated by fluids, insulin, and just making sure your electrolytes are in balance. And bicarb just didn't do the job for that. Whether you gave it as a bolus, whether you gave it as an infusion, it just didn't do much for DKA. And the data, there, there's basically no data when you talk about a pH of less than 6.9. So that brings us so to yeah. like now. So hold on. So you mean like a stat bicarb drip wasn't necessary? Not for these indications. Didn't have, no? Oh man. Not for these indications. Old Bicarb is still water. Like, you know how painful it was drawing up those out of the three three stuff? amps. You got to drop that uh, 150 out of it. Mm-hmm. You have to like make sure you get the air out first mm-hmm. before you punch in the vial because it's not it's not coming out. All right, sorry, we digress. Um, so r- real quick, can you talk about um the Pharmacy Friday Pearls? Yeah, so of course, most of you guys know I've been doing that for the last three years, and I didn't have the website to, to power what I wanted to do. And over the last few months, I've been fortunate to have a revamp of the Pharmacy Friday Pearls and go check it out at pharmacy slash pearls.com, Google Pharmacy Friday Pearls, and you would definitely see the, the new website. And we definitely got to upgrade when it, when it comes to that. So super excited about that. Go check that out. We've been growing up subscriptions, you know, very fast. So thank you guys who've been involved and we're going to continue to put good stuff out there. Great. And then I'm seeing this in social media already. Can you talk about the EM PowerX conference? So what we're going to do, guys, uh, the more and more I I talk about this, for EM pharmacists, just know this is going to be a for us, by us, FUBU-like conference where we get some of your favorite people together, talk about the things that you really care about, and really give us a place that we can talk about the issues that we want to. But I have some more interesting things at how you can get involved and get together with people, even though it's going to be the first of the hybrid conferences that we would do uh, at Farm So Hard and for Pharmacy Pearl. So 
Uh, I, I digress with that. This is going to be, it's going to come next year. So we have time to make it right. I'm not ASHP. I'm not ACCP. I don't have a million dollars, but what I do have is a million dollar dream. And we're going to make that happen for you guys. So it's not going to come fast, but it's going to come uh, appropriately. And it's going to be something that we've never done before in pharmacy. So looking forward to that, but let's get to the beef. Why this topic specifically, Jimmy? So, guys, I know everyone who's ever worked in a hospital and responded to a code, when they got there, they looked at you and asked you for an amplify card. And with you being an operations manager, you know the shortage and the issues that we have with that. And you're you're trying your best to help the team. You're trying your best to provide this sodium bicarb for people because, you know, everyone wants it. Once we look into it, we realize this makes no damn sense. <laughs> we just continue to do it and we'll get more in depth with this, but it's something we do without much evidence. And it's part of the kitchen sink, you know, theory where, oh, mm-hmm. let's just do it. We fix our HSNT, we fix acidosis and realistically we, we don't. So uh, I'll save it to the, the evidence and everything else. No, I agree. Um, so if, I guess, what do we know? Like what is actually happening to the body in terms of CO2 in terms of a cardiac arrest? So when we think of the, the pathophysiology, what's going on, it's a couple of things that's happening. You're going to have generation of both metabolic and respiratory acidosis, and you're not breathing. So you can't, you know, oxygenate your blood and you can't remove CO2. So you're going to have that respiratory acidosis there. And if your heart's not working, you're not delivering oxygen-rich blood to the tissue and CO2 is not able to be removed, acidosis that will insert. So you have a respiratory and a metabolic acidosis that's going to go on. What we thought, what we've been doing since the 50s and 60s is based off this thought that using alkalizing agents and cardiac arrest is to scavenge like hydrogen ions and improve the body's like systemic acidosis. So you basically just give them bicarb, you combine with that, and you're going to have a better situation, but and it's going to be shown to potentially improve cardiovascular function because acidosis is a myocardial depressant. So if you fix acidosis, you fix the cardiovascular issue that's going on. And it makes sense on paper. It makes sense when you're taking the naplex. <laughs> it, 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 it makes sense when you're doing things like that. But I don't know if it makes sense when we actually study it in humans. Thank you for that well-detailed explanation. So let me ask you this then, because I've said those same things. I remember in my, yes, I did round in ICU, guys. Don't forget that. Paige isn't there, like, why are we doing this? And they're like, well, it's not going to hurt. And that's where I kind of disagree mm-hmm. a little bit. So what are like the side effects of bicarb? If, if we start going there, especially within cardiac arrest, we know a few things happen. We know that bicarb gets converted into CO2. And it's like, oh crap, we already have a bunch of CO2 that's in our body that we can't get rid of. And depending on who's at the the head of the bed, we're not bagging those patients. We're not providing ventilations that are consistent enough to provide, you know, removal of CO2. So you're going to have intracellular acidosis. And I talked about in some of the DKA studies that we've actually checked cerebral spinal fluid and found an increase and hydrogen ions in the cerebrospinal fluid. And then from there, we have this hypothesis that you have intracellular acidosis that is potentially controversial, depending on who you talk to. So I'll, I'll say that. 
But let's just go down that path and say, if you do have intracellular acidosis, then you have a decrease in myocardial contractility. You have a decrease in cardiac output, an increase in serum lactate. All of those things are bad. And it's doing the exact opposite of what we expect. Go over to the other side of the equation. We're thinking about if we increase our bicarb, we increase the pH, we potentially can decrease the oxygen released by hemoglobin. Now, again, that's also controversial. We're talking about animal studies that we are very keen to criticize when it comes to this hypothesis, but we, we don't criticize those same animal studies that made us use the amount of bicarb that we do as well. And lastly, it's the fact that once we give bicarb, we're actually causing a decrease in our in- intracellular calcium. All things we need to increase myocardial contractility and help us get out of that situation. So those are the things just, just within cardiac arrest that I think is wrong with it. Let's not talk about the compatibility issues that bicarb doesn't go with epi, bicarb doesn't go with calcium, bicarb doesn't go with anything that you're going to be using that actually benefits the patient. That's really a, a short and sweet version of the adverse effects and the things that go against us when talking about bicarb and cardiac arrest. So Jimmy, I'm looking at like some of your notes. You have a lovely table highlighting some trials. Do you want to highlight any of these trials for the guys? Yeah. Let, let me, so as we go into the data, let me just mention like some of the history really quick. Back in like the first ACLS guidelines, bicarb was the most frequently used medication until like the mid eighties. And now we get to the point to where the latest starting in 2010, the guidelines actually, now I'm going to quote the AHA, the American Heart Association. They say the routine use of sodium bicarbonate is not recommended for patients in cardiac arrest. Again, the routine use, the kitchen sink, the let's just do it, the it won't hurt is not recommended. It's not an algorithm. As I read that, and I think, how have we gone from the most utilized medication to the something that's not recommended? And before I get there, I also want to go back to 1965. You know, I'm nerding out here. Dr. Stewart, he said, if you were to ask him why he would correct acidosis, his answer would be, I would correct it because it's there. Literally, it's just the fact that acidosis is there. You want to do something and treat it. And we think about when 2021 now, and this is the same opinion that I hear quite often because of that. Once we go from that, we know why we started doing it and why it was the most utilized medication. We move on to the study that was done by Dr. Bishop in 1976, and it was an animal study. And what they found was the beginning of all of this. It was the beginning because we found that if you gave bicarb, your pH increased temporarily. And your CO2 also increased quite a bit, I would say, as well. And we did that and they did it in animals and they did it in humans and found a similar association. So it was like, okay, this makes sense that we can treat acidosis using sodium bicarb, giving amps and going from there. With this study done by Dr. Bishop and with ACLS guidelines coming out, promoting the use of bicarb, that's where we got to that point. Now that we've talked about some of the earlier studies. I'm just going to hit a few of these because I know we don't have a ton of time here. So I'm going to go ahead and just summarize some of the things that I did on a pharmacy pearl, you know, when I was in residency. So one of the studies that was done by Dr. Wang and colleagues in 2016, it was an observational study with about 109 patients. What they found was that 
Bicarb for them was associated with sustained ROS when serum potassium was less than 7.9. And calcium and bicarb was positively associated with sustained ROS when the serum potassium was, was, was less than 9.4. Great. This study focused solely on the fact that it was using bicarb in combination with calcium to actually treat patients that presumably had hyperkalemia. And I've always said, if you have EKG changes and you had issues with hyperkalemia, given bicarb is definitely a, a good thing to do. Now we move on to Anna colleagues in 2016. It was an RCT. And that was interesting due to the fact that it was one of the few that actually did that. And they gave one amp versus placebo. And what they found was pretty interesting. No different than sustained ROS, 4% versus 16. And they didn't find any difference in good neurological outcomes, a zero versus 4%. Uh, Bicarb did, however, had an impact on pH. It went from close to 6.9 to roughly 7, and the bicarb levels went from about 8 to 21. So it did fix those numbers. And shout out to John Packer, uh, my RPD at Grady. He's always say, Jimmy, you know, we're all about fixing those numbers. And what bicarb did in our RCT did show that it just changed the number. Didn't do anything for the things we care about. Moving on to a study that was done in 2017. I'm going to mess up this name really good. Uh, Kawano and colleagues, it was a prospective observational trial with about close to 14,000 people. And what they found was that in, in out-of-hospital cardiac arrest, pre-hospital sodium bicarbonate was associated with worsening survival rates in neurological outcomes to hospital discharge. So huge study looking at that, and it showed, again, that bicarbonate was trash. Most of these studies that were looking at observational, they showed a different range of either worsening or increased outcomes. But when we looked at the actual randomized controlled trials looking at this, there was always no difference in survival. There was no difference in a roster for these patients were looking at RCTs. So with all of this stuff, man, I was like, hey, I can't put all this together. The guidelines say don't do it. I have trials saying that it doesn't really do anything for us. And even the ones that do show a benefit, if you crack down into some of the statistical analysis of it, it's trash. I really thought to myself, like, I want someone smarter than me to create a meta-analysis or some type of systematic review for, for bicarbon cardiac arrest. And guess what happened? One colleagues dropped this last year, and it was published in a journal of emergency medicine. And what they did was looking at things that we really care about, ROS, survival to discharge, the things that really matter. They excluded people that had pre-existing acidosis or any type of intoxication or drug abuse. Uh, they also eliminated animal studies in case reports and case series. So all that weak stuff was out of there. So when they looked at the primary outcome of obtaining ROS, there was no difference in the entire population. No difference in obtaining ROS whether you gave bicarb or not. We're looking at survival to discharge. There is no difference there. However, I think this is very interesting that when you looked at the pre-specified subgroup analysis, when looking at patients that were randomized or that were studied in North America, there actually was a decreased chance of obtaining ROS if you gave bicarb. Okay, that's that's a deal. What, what about survival to discharge? Also showed a decreased chance of survival to discharge when giving sodium bicarb. There were some phenomenal studies and some phenomenal results that came out of some of the studies from East Asia. 
and no, you know, discredit to those guys. But I'm talking to, you know, the 75% of my audience that practices in North America. Again, the way we use it here, the bicarb that we have here, whatever's mixed in there is trash. And this study showed that you have a decreased chance of getting Ross and decreased chance of getting survival to hospital discharge. Okay, maybe it was this, this study that only had uh, six studies in their meta-analysis. Guess what? Study just came out last month. It was a meta-analysis that was done, conducted by Al-Shirani and colleagues. And they got, I believe, 14 studies. Close to 28,000 patients was in this. And what did they find? They found that sodium bicarbonate was not superior to control in terms of survival to discharge and obtaining ROS. I think the most important part, the most important outcomes we can look at, bicarb was worse. When looking at sustained ROS within this meta-analysis, bicarb compared to placebo was associated with worse outcomes. When looking at discharge with good neurological outcomes, bicarb was bad. It was bad again. They actually had a decreased chance of having good neurological outcomes when given bicarb. So maybe that whole deal I was talking about intracellular acidosis and having increase in acid in the cerebrospinal fluid, it may hold something there. I don't know. I, I can't make any any you know strong association, but but this meta-analysis showed that the thing that we actually care about, no matter what mechanism caused it, actually led to bicarb being bad. So that's my beef for bicarb. I'm going to go ahead and drop the mic there. I'm going to put all of this in the, the show notes. There's a lot more data that I didn't have time to get to. Uh, so I will, you know, put all that there. And realistically, when you look at the totality of the, the data, it's just not there. And I would, you know, challenge you guys to find me an RCT, find me something that's really high quality data that says we should use bicarb. I know it was a group out there out of Denver that posted a YouTube video about they think they should use it. I would love to chat with them about it because the data is trash and we can go from there. Oh, let's get them on the show. Let's let's <laughs> do get out like professionals. Um, that's funny. But um, bicarbonous, certain scenario, no bueno, but it, it is good for some things, Jimmy. So. Let's give bicarb some love here. What are some things that sodium bicarb can be good for? And guys, I, I always say farming so hard is not about just hating on stuff. So what what I use it, what are indications that I'm actually recommending it? If a patient comes in and code from hyperkalemia because they haven't received HD, I'm slamming bicarb just like anyone else. I'm making sure we increase the respiratory rate a little bit for temporarily to blow off that CO2. Let my team know that they're entitled. It's not because they got ROS, but because we gave an amphibicarb, flushing twice in between and giving calcium. So hyperkalemia, you dang on right, you do it. Any talks, if you tell me that they have a TCA, a flecainide, anything that can impact sodium channels, dude, I'm pushing three amps of bicarb. My triceps will be on fire. It will be an amazing pump to push the bicarb in this patient to help save them. But again, it's all the love to the sodium. It all to hate to the bicarb. Now, well said. I'm sure the uh, Pfizer would appreciate that. <laughs> um, so what are some of your uh, final thoughts here before we start wrapping this up? So it, it's been a phenomenal uh, 
series to really go through all the data. And it's really refreshing to me to be able to do this. But overall, guys, I think that if you have any, i put it this way, most things that you use sodium bicarb for, you can use 3% hypertonic saline for. Sodium bicarb does a phenomenal job of fixing EKG changes. It does a great job of that from a mechanism standpoint and the way that we actually use it. And a lot of people give me grief because studies try to make, paint this perfect picture of how we use bicarb. That's not how it happens in person. Um, I'm fortunate to train and work at centers where I've seen a lot of this stuff. I've done it hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times now. And I see how it really happens at the bedside. I don't see a big benefit of using bicarb for the majority of things that we commonly use it for. And there's a unique role for bicarb when talking about EKG changes and and talk stuff. Whoever makes sodium bicarb, don't sue me. (laughs) There's a a reason to use the drug. Just throwing a kitchen sink. I I remember I was at Grady, who was at a code and one of the rapid response nurses told me, she was like, they just need bicarb. And I was like, why? And she was like, "It, it just, it just works. And I was like, how? The coat was over. And I was like, I just need you to show me. And I remember she went back and, and tried to find stuff. And she was like, I, I really can't find anything that's like decent that showed that we should use bicarb. And at that moment, the beef in me just started. And I've never stopped hating bicarb since then. <laughs> you reach out to me if you love bicarb and you want to bash me. Go, go right ahead. That's really my, that's really my final thoughts. Bicarb is trash. The way we use it is trash. And if we can use it appropriately <laughs> for those situations, I think it'd be great. But realistically, 85% of the usage of bicarb is wasteful. It's it's not smart. And it's just a huge waste of time. So, Well, well we're, we're trying to move to evidence-based practice. And that's what we try to accomplish at our farm so hard. We want to make complicated things, black and white. What does the data say? We're kind of over, oh, this is how we always done it. So for those of you other trendsetters out there, people that like using data and practice in today, 2021, you know, like let's continue to share these ideas and what does the data evidence say? And if you guys, if you can't provide that data, you know, let's go find it. Yeah. So I'm happy that you want to invite those people um, from Colorado for a discussion. Like, let's do it. <laughs> Oh, uh, let's have at it. Like I'll back you up on there too. Don't worry. Hey, it's, it's, my, it's, my clinical hat on. I always ask, what EBM are you practicing? Are you practicing evidence-based medicine or emotion-based medicine? And that's what it comes down to. So please check out the show notes, man. Um, visit the website, uh, farmsohard.com. All I got to say is that if there's anyone out there in the audience that has beef with any other older practice or medicine-related practice, please like hit us up on Twitter, hit me and Jimmy up on Twitter, LinkedIn, and like, let us dig in for you, but we'll be happy to look into anything controversial for y'all. We can keep the beef going. Absolutely guys. And uh, you guys know how I like to close out. You don't have to work in an ED. You don't have to be, you to be a pharmacist, but everything you do, make sure you farm so hard. Wow. <laughs>